So this morning we're carrying on looking through the uh, Gospel of John, uh, and we're going to be working that through today. And today we're looking at the the story of the death of Lazarus. Um, And life isn't always easy, is it? Has anyone found that at all in in your kind of various journeys through life? Yeah, Julian's finds life easy. Apart from that, anyone else find it easy? No, it's not, is it? Life really isn't often very easy at all. Um, And as Christians, I don't know about you, but sometimes we can wonder... Where is Jesus when we're finding our difficulties? Uh, When we're in the middle of hardship, when we're in the middle of suffering and pain, have you ever asked the question, well, where are you, Jesus? Where are you right at the moment? Anyone had those moments? You don't have to put your hands up. You can kind of nod silently. Yeah, you know, we feel that sometimes, don't we? As Christians, we think, you know, we know the God of the universe, but here I am in the middle of my suffering and difficulty. Where are you, God? Where are you at the moment? I think if we're all honest... We've had those thoughts. We've had the thoughts, is he really there? Uh, does he really love me? Does it, why doesn't he just take all of this away? We have those kind of thoughts and questions ourselves. Well, today's passage that we're looking at is all about the suffering of some of Jesus' closest friends and what his response was to them. So to read our, our passage this morning from the message, I've asked Sarah, Sarah Barrett, uh, a great storyteller, to come and read to us the passage from John. So you can clap, Sarah. That's good. That's appropriate. So, do you want to... Go up there. I'll just give you that. Thank you. Hello. The death of Lazarus. A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love is sick. When Jesus got the message, he said, This sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. They said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you and you're going back. Jesus replied, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he might very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. He said these things and then announced, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. The disciples said, Master, If he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death, while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. Then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died, and I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now, let's go to him. And that's when Thomas, the one called the twin, 
said to his companions, come along, we might as well die with him. And when Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away. And many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection and at the end of time. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Yes, Master, all along I have believed that you are Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. After saying this, she went to her sister Mary and whispered in her ear, the teacher is here and is asking for you. The moment she heard that, she jumped up and ran out to him. Jesus had not yet entered the town, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When her sympathizing Jewish friends saw Mary run off, they followed her, thinking she was on her way to the tomb to weep there. Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, Master, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her sobbing, and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. He said, where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. And now Jesus wept. The Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. Others among them said, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of a blind man. Then Jesus, the anger welling up again within him, arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, Martha, said, Master, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead four days. Jesus looked her in the eye. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Then to the others, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed. Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. 
I know you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, wrapped from head to toe. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. Fantastic. Thank you, Sarah. Um, just an amazing story, that, isn't it? An amazing account. And there's so much in there. There's so many different angles that we could take from that passage and that story and think, well, what about this? What about that? And what about that? But today, I just want to quickly just look at it from the perspective of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There was big suffering going on in their life, wasn't there? So Lazarus clearly was physically suffering at this time. He clearly was ill. Uh, he'd been ill, obviously, for a little while. And those kind of days, there wasn't health care and the service that we kind of enjoy ourselves. There's no real doctors to call up or there wasn't anywhere. To, there wasn't 111 or anything like that to kind of call and get advice. You know, this guy was suffering physically. And obviously, it got to the point where it was looking like he was going to die. They put out word to Jesus, but actually, he ended up dying. And I would imagine that was probably a painful death. There wouldn't have been... Um, you know, nice and serene and quiet. Like the guy was suffering. He was suffering physically. And we look at Mary and Martha, and they were caring for him. They, they were his, his, his sisters, and they would have been there caring for him whilst he was dying. Uh, their brother clearly probably wasn't that old, um, and they were, they were having to care for him. That, um, the emotional uh, kind of suffering that they would have going through, looking after him, seeing him ill, and then seeing him die and having to bury their brother. That's, that's big suffering, isn't it? That emotional kind of suffering that they were going, from, going through. But when we look at them and then we look at how Jesus responds, there's stuff that we can get encouragement from in terms of how Jesus responds to them as we go through suffering, as we go through emotional suffering, as we go through physical suffering in this world. The, the reason that these stories are here for us is because they give us encouragement in our faith and they help us to think, well, okay, where are you, Jesus, when we are suffering? Maybe you're suffering in those same ways at this moment, emotionally or physically or mentally or in any other way. And actually, you're thinking, I need some encouragement from Jesus today in the middle of my suffering. Well, I think there's three really quick things that we can pull out from how Jesus responded that gives us real encouragement if you're in the middle of that kind of suffering at the moment. The first thing is that he was aware of their suffering. He, he heard when... when he got word, he listened, he understood, he took it in. He didn't just dismiss it, he didn't kind of ignore it at all. He, he heard when he got word of it. And that's exactly true for us now. The Bible tells us that when we pray, when we bring our things to Jesus, he hears our prayers, doesn't he? As Christians, he hears what we have to pray. So if you're in the middle of something at the moment, you're thinking, I don't think Jesus is listening. That's not true. <laughs> he listens, he hears, he understands, he, he takes note of what's going on in our life. His, his eyes are attentive to our lives. It's not that we have to send word and hope that cross our fingers and hope he hears. No, the Bible tells us that he, he hears our prayers. And that's got to be a massive source of encouragement to us. The second thing in the story is that he eventually he went to them, didn't he? He actually went from where he was, even though it looked like it would be physically kind of you know, risky for him, he went to where they were um, in order to comfort them. And that's got to be true for us as well now. If you're in the middle of suffering at the moment and finding things difficult, then 
through the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that Jesus comes to us in the middle of our suffering. He's not distant. He's not separate. He's not kind of away from us. He's heard it, but he's not really. No, no, no. He comes through the Holy Spirit. He comes to meet us where we are at in the middle of our suffering. He doesn't stay distant. He doesn't stay remote. He's not like kind of awkward and kind of a little bit British about it. No, he comes to us and he's with us physically in the middle of our suffering. And the third thing is he shows his emotions towards them, doesn't he? He shows he cared and he loved them in that moment. It tells us in that passage, it says he wept, he was moved, he had compassion. He was angry that they were suffering. That Jesus was moved emotionally in that situation. And he showed those emotions to, to Mary and to Martha. And he, and he wept with them. He, he cared, he got angry that, this, that Lazarus had died and was suffering. That's the same for us now, that if you're in the middle of a difficult time right now, Jesus isn't just like a, a business person that says, yes, I've heard you, um, and then we'll do something about it. No worries, got it covered. He, he comes with it to us, and he, he understands. The Bible says he, he understands, he can sympathize with our situation. He emotionally connects with us in the middle of our suffering. It's not something that we just have to think, oh, no, he's a distant God who doesn't know. No, not at all. He feels that emotion, and he walks with us, in the middle of it. So there's three quick kind of encouragements for us. If you're in the middle of a difficult time at the moment, or when you do go through difficult times, you think, where is God in the middle of it? Well, we know that from this story that he, he comes to us, he's aware of us, he hears us, and he meets us emotionally in that time. But there is an aspect to this story which is quite surprising, isn't there? When you read through the passage, there's one big kind of elephant in the room, as it were, when it comes to this story. Well, it is to me anyway when I read it. And it says in that bit in verse 5 and 7, when it talks about the fact that Jesus didn't immediately go to Lazarus when he heard that he was sick, but instead intentionally waited two days. That's surprising, isn't it? Yeah? I mean, some of you have heard the story many times, so you think it's not surprising because I've heard the story many times. But if you've heard the story for the first time and you heard of this God who's loving and caring and, and meets with us, and then you think, okay, but hang on, he, he knew that Lazarus was sick. He knew that he could do something about it, yet he intentionally stayed away until Lazarus died. That seems to me quite a, a, a challenging concept. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Because you think, well, if this is a loving God, why did Jesus stand back and let them suffer? If, he, if these were his close friends, if he loved these people, why did he stand back and let them suffer? Maybe that's sometimes what you say to God. If you really loved me, why are you letting me suffer? You ever said that? Ever thought that? In those dark moments? If you really love me, why do you stand back and let me suffer? But the shocking truth is, and the uncomfortable truth maybe in this passage, is that Jesus actually allowed their suffering to continue to the point where Lazarus died. He didn't intervene and didn't solve the problem. He didn't jump in and say, right, we'll get there straight away. Let's stop what we're doing now. Or even, I mean, he's the son of God. He could have made it happen. He didn't have to be there, did he? Yeah, but he didn't. Why was that? That's the biggest question that leaves us. Why did Jesus not intervene when he could have done? Well, it tells us in verse 4 why. And he says, Jesus said, it will become an occasion to show God's glory. That's the reason why Jesus didn't intervene. That's the why Jesus waited until Lazarus died. That's why he stood back and let them suffer, because it says, in Jesus' words, it will become an occasion 
to show God's glory and to authenticate that he was the son of God. So when you look at that, you think, well, actually, what that shows us is that showing the world the glory of God is actually the ultimate purpose that Jesus has for us as believers. His ultimate purpose for us is that as Christians, we would come to faith in him, the Holy Spirit would come and live in us, and through us, the world would see the glory of God. Okay, That's what that's saying. saying actually the ultimate purpose he has for us as Christians is that he, we, through us, the world would see the nature and the character of God. Jesus' ultimate purpose for our life is not to relieve our sufferings. That's the reality of the situation. That Jesus' ultimate purpose for our lives isn't to relieve our sufferings. It's actually to glorify God in us and through us to the world around us. Okay, well that will bring people to faith. That will, they will receive the gift of eternal life. And one day all suffering will be gone. Because for those of us who, like we sung about this morning, one day we will be with him, all suffering will go. So ultimately, Jesus has relieved all of our suffering, but it's on the other side of eternity. But right now, the ultimate purpose actually isn't to relieve suffering, it's to glorify God in us and through us. This does get encouraging, okay? Hang, stay with me, all right? Especially if you're in the middle of difficult times right now, stick with me. Okay, because sometimes, like in this story, the way that God will most glorify himself is through a miracle. It's through Lazarus being raised from the dead. Those kind of moments when Lazarus comes forth and, you know, Martha, Mary's going, look, it's going to stink. He's been in there four days. It's a bit like when you, you see your teenager's bedroom and say, come forth, it's going to stink. It's been four days. You know, that, that's our kind of equivalent now. But yeah, sometimes the way that God is most glorified is in a miracle, as in, in that suffering is, is, is a healing, an amazing miraculous healing where the dead raise or the sick get healed or people get set free from lifelong things. That, those are amazing God-glorifying moments. And sometimes he chooses a miracle to be the, the way that he's most going to be glorified in that situation. Bless you. But in reality, in reality, miracles by definition are rare, aren't they? Because if they happened all the time, they wouldn't be so miraculous. They would be normal. That's heaven. We do see miracles, we pray for miracles, but they are rare. The reality is, actually, that God is most glorified and most often glorified in our lives through actually how we, what he grows in us when we go through suffering and difficult times. Because he sees it in a very different way to us. If God was only ever glorified through miracles, then he wouldn't often be glorified. Yeah? So there must be other ways which he shows himself in that way. Romans 5, verses 3 to 4 says this, More than that, this is the Apostle Paul writing, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what it's saying there is that God is also very, very much glorified in our lives. And don't forget, that's his ultimate purpose in our lives as Christians, is to glorify himself so that the world might see him, come to faith, and receive the gift of eternal life. What that's saying there is God's also very much glorified through his children when we suffer well, when we grow in a character and godliness through our sufferings. 
Okay, when we engage with God, that's as much supernatural to suffer well as it is to be raised from the dead. Because I don't know about you, but suffering doesn't really come easy. Don't like it. No? It doesn't bring out the best in us, does it? Not naturally. You know, you put someone in a difficult situation emotionally, physically, mentally, anything. It doesn't, it's not the way to bring out the best in someone, is it? Hey, I'm going to make you suffer. That's going to bring out the best in you. That doesn't happen naturally. So it must, in order to suffer well and glorify God, it must be a supernatural event that takes place. Yeah, and it's as supernatural to glorify God through our sufferings as it is for a miracle to take place. That's what the Bible is saying. And actually suffering produces, in the end, endurance, character, and hope. It brings, we can bring hope to the world by suffering with God's help to bring him glory, in a way. Does that make sense? That should be a massive sense of encouragement to us because he cares deeply. He walks with us in our suffering and he uses that often to glorify God in a way that maybe we couldn't in other ways. Jesus stepped back because he knew that this situation would bring ultimate glory. I'm not saying that God initiates suffering in our life. I think that's going too far. Sometimes maybe, other times not. Who knows? God's God. He knows what he's doing. But ultimately, he brings his glory to bear through our lives. Sometimes that's through a miracle. Sometimes that's through by empowering us to grow in godliness through that suffering that then is a massive testimony to the world around us. But people will say, oh, I don't know how you've gone through that and the way you are. And you say, it's because I know Jesus and because he's born fruit in my life. It's not me. I'm not doing it naturally. It's a supernatural event. Bring the glory to God. That's what's going on in our life. So how does that work in practice? It's far, let me give you a worked example. I'm going to invite my friend Kathy. She's going to come now and share her own story and testimony of how God has used her over the last couple of years when she's gone through it. And she's going to come and share how God has borne fruit in her life through suffering. So let's welcome Kathy. Uh, morning, everyone. I know quite a few of you will, will know that um, I was diagnosed, diagnosed even with uh, breast cancer in uh, June 2020. And uh, I literally just started uh, a week's leave, week's holiday from work. It was the Friday. I uh, found a massive lump, um, had a terrible night's sleep. The next morning, still there, um, told John. And, and then I start on what actually turns out to be this amazing journey. About two, three weeks before that, out of the blue, I had, uh, my, my blood pressure went crazy. Uh, it had done that about three years previously, and so it had been completely managed for three years. And three years earlier, when it happened before, God said to me, I want you to go through the book of Psalms. And, and so I did that. And then again, out of the blue, this crazy high blood pressure where I felt really awful, God said to me again, I want you to go through the book of Psalms. And so I did. And then two weeks later, find this lump. And so straight away, I can look back and see very, very clearly that God was in this with me 
from the very, very start, sort of laying um, the preparation down for what was to come. I, it was bank holiday weekend, so I rang 111, got an amazing um, doctor from Norwich who knew exactly what she was doing, what to ask. And she said to me, you need to get yourself an, an emergency appointment as soon as your doctor's surgery opens. I knew it was cancer. I didn't actually have any doubts. And so there I found myself on my birthday, sitting outside the GP surgery, thinking this is not how I intended to spend my birthday. I met this doctor who just joined our surgery. He was fantastic. He'd got a background in breast cancer. Again, he knew exactly what to do. And he said to me, I'm going to get you um, an urgent appointment at the hospital. I got a call back and it was impossible. The, the hospital was really busy. There was no way that they could possibly give me a faster appointment. So John and I prayed and a few close friends prayed. And within two days, I had an appointment. So I just have to read my notes. Um, I had to go to the hospital by myself. I wasn't expecting to, to find out immediately that I got cancer, but that's exactly what happened. And, um, and I wasn't surprised that the surgeon said to me, are you, are you surprised? And I said, no, I'm not. And, and I went back home and told John. And then for that next seven weeks, I... It's just this roller coaster of emotions where you just go from one appointment to the next. Uh, that was tough. Um, and at this point, I arrived at Psalm 23. And one thing that God also did, which was hugely significant, was that he said to me really right from the very start, the enemy has brought this into your life, but I'm allowing it for good. And really, once I knew that, then it didn't matter really what happened. I just knew that God was in control, that it was less about me and more about what God was going to do. And I want to read Psalm 23. This has become an amazing passage to me, and it kind of really was a, has become like a picture of my journey. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So whenever I went for an appointment, uh, particularly biopsies, of which I had several, then I would lay there, close my eyes and say the 23rd Psalm um, and, and because of COVID and having to go through appointments mostly by myself I just knew God was with me um, 
Going to appointments was difficult. I'm, at that point, I struggled with going into hospitals, really felt uncomfortable. And um, I have a needle phobia. So um, it was, there was, yeah, there was difficult times, but, but, but God enabled me to whatever had to happen to just accept it and, and to allow it. I had to tell the children, had to do it over Zoom because they live in a different part of the country and anyway, they couldn't visit. And, and God enabled me to be super calm during that call. They were visibly upset and, and that was really tough. Um, and, and afterwards, Caroline said to me, she said, I knew something was wrong. She said, but I wasn't sure if it's, if it's you or Gus, who's our elderly dog. <laughs> And then it was about, okay, so who do I get to stand with me in this? I can be a very independent person, which doesn't always work in my favour. But God made it very clear that I was to tell the church that, um, that he would put around me people who would literally stand with me in this. And he did. There was people that he placed on my heart. And there were other people who literally stepped up and, and who stood with me in this. And John and I were going for a dog walk one morning, and God gave me a picture. And if you was, if you are as old as me, um, I was brought up on um, in westerns, which I love, the whole cowboy and Indian stuff. And the picture was of a wagon train that had put itself in a circle, with the Indians um, riding past, shouting and screaming. And God said to me, "You are in the middle." You are completely safe. You're in the middle of the wagon train. And the wagon train are those people who are standing with you in this. One thing God also did, um, beautiful summer. I used to go and I used to sit in the, sit in the garden and I used to yeah, do gardening, which I love, listening to Christian songs. And he gave me a very particular Christian song, which again became a very, very part of my very important part of my journey, which is by Casting Crowns, and it's called Praise You in This Storm. I'll just read you just a part of it. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. And once again, I say, amen, and it's still raining. But as the thunder rolls, I barely hear your whisper through the rain, I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I'll raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. And, and that, that really taught me about praising God in every circumstance and, and praising him despite how I was feeling and, and at times quite frightened, um, still praising him and choosing every day to do that. So the seven weeks... Um, which were difficult. And it's a fact-finding mission. And, and as the seven weeks went on, um, by the end of it, um, my prognosis was far worse than I had expected. And so in, in what apparently had been only months of having cancer, not years, I had two tumours that had spread to my lymph nodes, and it was um, triple negative, which means it was um, not hormone sensitive, which is the most aggressive 
breast cancer that, that you can have. That was difficult to, to hear that. I still had to choose to trust God for no matter what. And I knew that actually I would get through this. I had no doubts that I would come through the other end of this. Eight days before chemo, I was seeing my oncologist and she, for some reason, told me that a particular subgroup of cancer that I got had a very high reoccurrence rate within normally two to three years. And, and I thought to myself, gosh, I could be going through this again in two years. And I had to get on the scales and this really nice, sweet young nurse said to me, you're being so brave. Normally at this point, people are planning their funeral. And, and I went home and I cried and I was really scared. I trusted God, but I was so scared. Um, this was not, it was, I was traumatized by it really. And, and, and that, that became a huge battle for me to come to terms with this and to trust God for no matter what. And it was the battle I had to win. I did get to a point where I really suffered and where I was utterly terrified and I was in this dark hole and felt so awful. And then the day came where I thought, I cannot live like this, I must not live like this. And God really helped me in, to really not accept that, but to deal with it. So I'm still going through the Psalms every day. God is speaking to me. He's giving me massive comfort and strength and courage. And I'm, I'm desperate at this point, having heard those words. I really need God to speak to me. And in his mercy, he did. If I can find it. He gave me, oops, sorry. He gave me um, two verses. He gave me Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Okay, where's the other one? I might have lost that. Anyway, basically what it is, it's, it's a situation in the Old Testament where King Zedekiah is dying. He's on his deathbed and he prays the Lord to, for his life to be extended. And, and God does that. He makes him a promise. He actually gives him the number of years that he'll extend his life by. Um, and king, the king is still unsure. He, still, he wants it like proves that what God is saying is actually true. So God gives him a choice and he chooses to have the, the shadow that the sun causes to go back up the steps, which, which was a miracle. And so I, I stand on those verses. Um, God gave the verses about, about um, Zedekiah to two separate people. And I stand on that and I... And I know that no matter what, God has got my life. And, and I really feel he's saying to me that I am not going to be dying. 
in the near future that he has got plans for me. Um, and, I, and I feel that he has said, I'm extending your life. So whatever that looks like, um, when the enemy comes to me and tries to torture me with that knowledge, I, I stand on that and I stand firm. So moving on very quickly, chemo. Um, I, I, went, I had the chemo and the very first visit, I met American Jim. Within two, three minutes, he's making it very clear he's a Christian. I said to him, are you a Christian? He said, yes. So we then spent, because I was there for hours, the most amazing time with him. I saw him witness to somebody and I knew it was like God saying to me, this is what I want you to do. And so then, every time I went to chemo, it wasn't about me. It was about who I could witness to, who I could share my faith to, with. Um, I then took tracks with me and had some amazing conversations. There was one lady, however, called Jane, who I found really hard, really tough to speak to. She really wasn't interested. And I said to the Lord, do you want me to give, do you want me to give her a tract? And God said no. So I didn't. Last Thursday, I had to have another drug infusion. And again, I prayed, Lord, put me in the room with the right person that I can witness to. And it's Jane. She's still quite hard, but now she's dying. And she's asking for one more summer. And I, and I, I did, I got further with her this time than I did before. And I did share with her how amazing God has been with me on this journey. And I said to God, do I give her a tract? And he said, yes. God also encouraged me to speak to our neighbours who, we're really fortunate, we have some wonderful neighbours. I wasn't really intending to, and I didn't do it for them to support me or be kind to me, although they were. But it was such an amazing opportunity to share with my neighbours how good God has been, how he's given me the strength and the courage to go through this. And I've had, again, amazing conversations with them. And there's a, a group of us, and it just seems that through COVID and through this, we've really become a lot closer together. And that's been, that's been a really wonderful thing. And then the op. Um, that I found difficult. Um, John had to leave me at the door, and I was really, really scared. I remember sitting by the bed and being quite terrified, really. And um, my surgeon came to see me. She was, she's wonderful. She's not saved. She's still a marvellous surgeon and so kind. She's been so kind to me. And I had the op. Um, I straight away had complications, far more complications than I was expecting. But I, again... God gave me patience to, to deal with it and to get over the disappointment of it being so difficult. Um, I had, came home with two drains and a shopping bag. And where I went, my drains came with me. From day one, one of the drains was filling up far more quickly than it should. And it was obvious that I had a problem. Um, so I, con I contacted the particular team that I need to and next thing I know, the surgeon rings me at home and she says, well, keep your drains for two more days. We don't normally like to do this, but I think we need to do it. And you're going to have your drains taken out in hospital, which normally would not have happened. And so I had 
the most experienced nurse on the team removing my drains. First one was fine. It was, it was uncomfortable, but it was what I was expecting. The second one was horrendous. And I was, <laughs> I'm still grateful to this day that I had an experienced nurse doing it. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. And again, God had gone before me on that and, and so taken care of me. I had radiotherapy for three weeks every day. Um, and, then, and then your treatment finishes, and, or at least that, that part of things. And I found then, for several months, I had the emotional trauma to deal with, which I hadn't had a chance to deal with before because you're on this massive roller coaster. And that, that was difficult. I, was very, I felt very emotional all the time. And, but God was so good to me. Um, I had so many people messaging me, bringing gifts to my door, showing their love. And, and that massively, massively helped me um, to really deal with things and to deal with what had happened. So, yeah, today, I, I do have quite a bit of damage from all the treatment. Um, unfortunate lymphedema, which was the one thing I didn't want to get. But again, finally, God has, has helped me to accept it um, and really to be to not focus on, on the things that have changed, but just to be so grateful for everything that he's done for me. He has massively changed me. I love him more than I have probably ever done before. I feel closer to him and I am stronger than I've been ever before, I think. And I, I feel that I can absolutely trusting with my life for whatever comes my way. If I have to go through this again, then I know that he and I, that we will do this again. Um, and that's okay, because it's not about me, it's about him. And I just want to say that, um, you know, God can bring difficult things into our lives, but he, he can bring the most amazing blessings out of it. And just to finish, I'm sorry, I've been, I've gone on far longer than I know I'm supposed to. Um, I just want to say a thank you. Um, I want to thank everybody that's prayed for me. Uh, I hope you can see that your prayers have made a, mass a massive difference to my life and John's and our families. That God has been with us all the way through. And it shows the power of prayer. I want to thank my wagon train, those people that stepped up and went through this with me. You have been so amazing. I want to thank John, who had to be so patient at times. Um, he had to give me injections in my tummy five times every chemo cycle. And if you can imagine someone sitting, gripping the arms of a chair who's needle phobic, um, he was so calm and so cool, and I'm so grateful for the care and the love that, that he gave me through that. And I also want to thank Ben, um, because you have been amazing. You've been so kind to us as a family and supportive and shown us immense love all the way through, and, and you are still doing that and still supporting us. And... I think you and others have been a role model to me of how I should behave and how I should be more loving and caring and supportive. And so thank you so much. Yeah.
Thank you, Kathy. Immensely humbling. And I think what I want to say is, if you're sitting there thinking, I could never be like that if I went through that, that's the whole point. It's God with us that enables us to do that. If you said to Kathy before that happened, could you go, th no, 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 it's not her being brave. It's God at work in her life, which is able to glorify God as a result. That's what this is all about. So let's just, let's just bring this together. Where is Jesus when we're suffering? Right here with us. Sometimes he intervenes to miraculously change the situation and bring glory to God, but he always empowers us in the middle of suffering, not only to cope, but to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to the extent that it brings glory to God and hope to the world. Imagine the impact on our local community if God's people became more and more spiritually fruity. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? Suffering and difficulties are often the most effective grow bags for that fruit in our lives. We don't like it, but God's with us. Do we pray for miracles? Yes, of course. Do we pray for him to empower us and strengthen us and bring fruit in our lives? Yes, of course. We can pray both those things at the same time, but God is with us in the middle of us. It shouldn't leave us feeling guilty, thinking, oh, I suffer terribly. It shouldn't leave us thinking failures or I'm rubbish compared to them when they've gone through stuff. It should leave us saying, help us, Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural thing. Help us to do something that doesn't come naturally to bring glory to you. Let's just pray. Um, the band are going to come back and just respond to God in that moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know all things, that you hold all things together and that you work all things together for the good. Lord, we thank you that your ultimate goal is to glorify God. Lord, that's not a bad thing at all. That's not self-seeking there. Lord, that's the best thing for us, and that's the best thing for the world. And Lord, we just pray you'd empower us afresh. Lord, I pray for everyone who right now is going through suffering at this moment. Lord, whether it's physically or emotionally or mentally, Lord, at this time, and they're just saying, where are you, Lord? Lord, I pray that you'd just visit them afresh today and let them know that you're right with them. I pray for your empowering presence to come and bring fruit into their lives. Sustain them, walk with them, give them hope, Lord Jesus, and glorify yourself in the midst of their circumstances. Lord, we thank you that you said you'll never leave us and forsake us. And we thank you that's the testimony of so many people in this room, that throughout whatever they've been through, you've never left and you've never forsaken. We thank you for your promise and your truth. Amen.